the Brexit Breakdown podcast from the UK in a changing Europe. Hello and welcome to another Brexit Breakdown podcast. I'm James Miller, author, journalist, podcaster, man on a mission to find out more about Brexit. This week's guest is Steve Bullock. He used to work for the UK representation to the EU. He was a negotiator. He sat round the table and he tried to get what the UK government wanted eye to eye with his counterparts from all the other EU nations. So, with the UK deep in negotiations with the EU right now, and a crunch meeting coming up next week uh, with regard to the uh, negotiations around getting out of the EU and then hopefully, possibly, moving on to negotiations about the trade deal, it seemed like a very good time to put out this chat I had with Steve. And since we were talking about negotiation, I got in a very apt wonk from the UK and a changing Europe who uh, support this podcast, who make this podcast. It's Professor Helen Drake of Loughborough University, London. Now, I don't really understand how Loughborough University can be in London, but apparently it is. Uh, She is leading a project called 28 Plus Perspectives on Brexit, which is focused on the other EU members and how they are approaching Brexit and the negotiation thereof. It's a very interesting project. I urge you to look up its website, but not until you've listened to this podcast, Um, of which there are a few things to flag up. This was recorded some time ago, um, back in September, in a very hot, tiny studio. Um, It was one of the first recordings we did, and consequently we were still feeling our way into the format. So there's a bit of editing in this one, including, for your uh, listening pleasure, a new editing jingle. Keep an ear out for that about halfway through. Secondly, it kind of falls into two halves, this one. The first ten minutes or so are focused on uh, negotiating in general, really, um, how you do it, what the strategy is, and particularly at the EU, I was fascinated to learn what it's like, what happens, what's the nuts and bolts, you know, is there beer and sandwiches on the table, do the uh, Italians have a habit of going all, uh, you know, Bruno Tonioli and uh, flouncing out while the the cool Swedes just sit and roll their eyes, is that actually how it works? Um, And we talk in that regard about one of Helen's focuses on her... uh, research which is uh, on emotion around the negotiating table the second half is about how that all applies to brexit which is after all what this podcast is all about so something for everyone hopefully and uh, i'll be back after this chat to uh, share some observations and uh, or do all the usual gubbins and chit chat but uh, we started by talking about how a negotiation begins Do you all meet up in a in a ante room and then file into a room, or does you know are the Greeks always late, or you know? Well, does I, I, turn I, up, are you I always, was always late. Oh, okay. I work in groups, Fine. but yeah, yeah. Everybody, every, everybody, uh, everybody goes into a room. Representatives from member states go into a go into a room. Do you scribble over who sits next to who, like a school? Class? No, in in in, uh, in council you have a protocol protocol order, which is the order of uh, presidencies. Oh, okay. Uh, so, for example, the uh, UK always sits next to Estonia. All right. Um, is that fun? The Estonians okay to sit well, next yeah, to? Well, uh, yeah, yeah, it is actually because uh, uh, they they have very good language courses. So, uh, if I didn't understand interventions in French, uh, my French is not not brilliant. It's working, but not brilliant. Uh, 
if I didn't understand the nuance of a uh, of an intervention, I could always ask the I, I could always ask my stuff. Right. Okay, so how does the language work? If somebody's talking in French, do you are you supposed to understand it? Do you have the little ear yeah? Pieces? I mean, no, no, no. In in council, there's an assumption that uh, the the two working languages are English and and French. The Germans very kindly gave up the idea of German being one of the working languages quite a long quite a long time ago, even though officially it is a working language of the Commission. This doesn't sound like a very good idea because like maybe you speak English really well, but your, your French is slightly dodgy. You might misunderstand something, and then you can have a terrible misnegotiation. Well, first of all, there's an assumption that you you don't do that because you're diplomats and you should have been language trained if you're okay. if you're there. I actually I have to say I actually slipped through the net because <laughs> I came to it through uh, through through different through international development rather than through the right. rather than through the foreign office. Had I been in the foreign office, I would have had to pass French exams. Before before I could have done the job, um, but also this is where you have the role. This is where you have the role of the presidency, um, in that if somebody's making an intervention uh, which shows that they clearly understand, uh, misunderstood it, you would expect the presidency to intervene and say, "So somebody, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I think you're on the you're, you're on the wrong wrong track here." So and there's, the, a, there's a chair. There's a chair, and this is again a huge difference with these negotiations. Is that yeah. there's no, there's, well, there is a chair. It's actually Barnier's team are effectively the chair, but okay. there isn't a. There isn't a chair in the way that there is uh, for negotiations between between member states. Usually, you either have the the president of the uh, the, the uh, rotating presidency, yeah, of okay. the member state, or uh, which would have been the UK now, actually. Yes, uh, so there's, yeah, um, skipped it. Uh, and or you have uh, the uh, the president the presidency of the council. Okay, uh, the permanent presidency. Can that chair step in and say, Portugal, you've gone on too long, shut up? Um, ultimately, yeah. I mean, okay. they don't do that generally. But that can't happen in the Brexit negotiations yet. That's going to be much more difficult because there is no obvious chair. And if it's Barney, it's going to be a bit rude. I mean, Barney recently has perhaps been a bit rude about David Davis, uh, according to some leaks and suggestions and use of language. I think it's but... not been a long time coming that, but we'll come <laughs> on to that. Um, yeah, absolutely. And that's, again, why it's more like, why it's more like uh, a negotiation between, between the EU and a, and, yeah. and a third country, where, again, there isn't a chair. But what's, what's also very similar to that is that the process is controlled, by, is controlled by the EU. And Article 50 makes the process controlled, controlled, by, the, controlled by the EU. So, so this isn't, an asymm- this isn't uh, a symmetrical negotiation between, uh, say... Uh, two companies wanting to uh, two companies yeah. wanting to agree sure. a new a new cooperative venture. Yeah, you know okay. it's 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 not that kind of symmetrical 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 okay. system. It's very asymmetric. Um, and what's on the table? Bits of paper, pencils, beer, sandwiches, uh, little wa- flags, water. Actually, in the council rooms, uh, in the in the council working group rooms, some of them some of them that haven't been refurbished still have ashtrays built into mm-hmm. the nice built into the desks. But we are requested specifically specifically not to not to use them, which as a at the time a smoker was always very annoying sitting that in front would, of an ashtray. Drive you mad. Oh come on, that sounds like a trick. But actually, the uh, the, the 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 council building is one of the very few rooms in Europe. In fact, one of the very few buildings in Europe. Where smoking booths with extractor fans and so on are are, are allowed. I mean, there's one really? outside. There, yeah, there's one outside the council chamber, <laughs> on the fiftieth floor. Um, but of course, you, you, you right. have. But I, you I, have I, to I, have this. If a head of state is nego- if a head of state is negotiating over hundreds of billions of, uh, of yeah. euros, uh, and <laughs> he needs a fag, you can't say, "I'm really sorry. You're going to have to cut the car." Off. So, well, yeah. I guess so that, there has to be a way. You is know, that because that. negotiations go on so long, and some people need to have a fag, or is it just because? Uh, you know, those Eastern Europeans still smoke an awful lot. Is that, is it? Well, it's not just Eastern Europeans, but no, yeah. That's true. But, but, no, no, but no, absolutely. And um, 
it's also a good excuse. It's a good excuse for coffee. I mean, coffee is very important and very, very important in negotiations. When okay. you when you re- when you when negotiations appear not to really be going anywhere, uh, the the chairs will often often call for coffee. Sure. Okay. And then go and try and get the two people causing problems together outside the room. I have to say, having drank it the coffee, very good biscuits, but you know, having drank the coffee, I'm not even convinced that you get coffee with your coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really is some of the some of the worst coffee you'll ever ever have is in the. Why? What's wrong with it? The council. Surely the Europeans do coffee better than us, don't they? The the Europeans in general do, but the the council catering services and commission catering services, I have to say, really really toned their wow. really, really. Well, they should spend more of our European <laughs> funding on the coffee, from the sounds of it. Um, but I think that on the I was just going to say on the uh, on how negotiations proceed. I mean, how they normally pr- proceed is that uh, people make. People make initial interventions with with you know widespread support or wide or, or or general lack of support for a proposal, um, and uh, or they might want to highlight the most important things that they have that they have issues with or things that, that there needs to be clarification on for legal services and so on, um, and then and then you go through a, and then you go through a reading of the text, which is basically signing off on signing off on elements. Well, the, well, the okay. presidency sit, the presidency will be sitting there. Going right, clause one. Does anybody have any issues with clause one? You don't. Fantastic. That's something in the bag. We can move on to the. And they say we can really move quickly. on to the next thing. And I think this is what this is really important to know when you think about the sequencing of the Article Fifty negotiations. And this is the no, the normal modus operandi for for negotiations involve, involving the twenty seven and involving the Commission. You do the you do the things you agree on, and then you move on, and you try and get as much in the bag as possible. Okay, that's very interesting. So it's, it's a sort of very linear process in a way. Yes, suggesting. Yeah. Talking and editing, talking and editing. Is emotion good or bad for negotiating? It's inevitable, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that doesn't emo- answer the question, is it good or bad? Well, again, I, I'm going to defer to Steve, but from, mm-hmm. a, from a, a theoretical uh, p- perspective, you would expect negotiators, po- negotiators probably to instrumentalise their emotions, A, to be aware of them and then to instrumentalise them. So pretend to be angry or, 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 oh, or, or okay. whatever. That's, you know, that, that sounds Machiavellian and maybe Steve no, no, can I, tell I, us. I, 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 <laughs> I, I, what emotions I, have you I, seen I, in the, in the negotiating agree. room? I've seen every, I've seen every emotion in the uh, negotiating room, but what, what I've... Love? When I've, I, yeah, I think so. I worked in international development, so I think uh, we've so, certainly saw. Okay. Lo- I've certainly seen love of projects and love of love of programs, definitely. And um, but um, the what I would say is every time I've seen an uncontrolled nego- uh, uncontrolled emotion, uh, that has been detrimental to the negotiating position of the the person expressing it. When have you seen this? Um, I've seen it out of frustration. Who at deadlocks? Uh, Who I, and about what? I, 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 um, I'm bound by. All right, what country? I'm, you don't have to I'm name bound names. By, I've I've seen it from 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 several countries. I mean, you don't tend to get it from Finland, but <laughs> very often. But they're quite happy, aren't they? Uh, they're, they're, they're quite quiet. Uh, but really? um, no, no. But it's it and it, it can work at different levels. So I mean, in negotiation, you asked what was on the table. What's on, what's really on the table in 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 negotiations are the instructions which the representatives have got from oh, okay. from capitals. Yeah, all right. So each um, person has their own instructions. Each, each person has a set of instructions, and that could be uh, you know an annotated version of the the proposal, or it could be points that they need to make and and red line. And actually, I mean, the the UK's uh, it's no state secret that the UK is traditionally very very good at producing mm. these mm. Uh, producing these. And it all, but also they have a sense of where you can be flexible and things that we don't care about, um, yeah, which okay. can then be used as negotiating capital and so mm, on. Okay. Um, now, 
there may have been emotion put into that po- into that policy making. There may have been. We're not taking that kind of stuff from these people, or from uh, or this is an, or uh, okay. it's an it's an outrage that the commission would even propose this. There might have been emotion going into the policy making in that. Um, but then the then the emotion goes exactly as you said. It goes to a it 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 goes to a more per, more personal personal level, and it's actually in the it's actually in the room. It's actually the interaction between between individual. Between it, between individual people, and when somebody's being impossible, um, yeah. and you don't think it's warranted, and you don't think it's under instruction, because we all understand we have instructions. So sure, when someone's okay. being impossible under instruction, you understand that yeah, they're doing okay, that. Fine. When somebody's being impossible because they are impossible, that's when that's when emotions tend to flare. But emotion, can, but emotion can be used, can definitely be used positively in positively in the in the in the room, and is in a good negotiation. Know, in my view, how to. How, how to do that and when to deploy it. What emotions have you felt in the room? Have you hated people across the desk? Have you loved people across the desk? Have you been disgusted? I, I, I've loved the people who unexpectedly intervened to support my position. That's what was really, that's not that's true what was really love. Nice. That's no, not, when you look yeah, along and think, shallow, when you look along and think, you know, I honestly didn't think Luxembourg had a view on this. That's really nice. It's really nice. And often, and, and often when, but often when they make interventions like that, they're not. They're just showing general. They're not make, supporting the point. They're just showing general support for either you in the room or your. That's not love. States, You're very cheap. That's all it takes to win your you win your affection. I, I've shown lo- shown love to the presidency <laughs> when they've concluded when they've concluded in my favour as well. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. Talking and editing. Talking and editing. How do you learn strategy? Uh, David Cameron's strategy used to be to negotiate whilst needing a wee. Apparently, that's what he used to say. He'd go into a room for the wee negotiators while he was busting, and apparently that helped him to get things done. Is that strategy? Is that a good strategy? I'd actually maybe say, I'd actually maybe say, I don't think, I'm not sure that is strategy, but I'd maybe, just on that particular, I'd maybe say the opposite, actually, in that I also, I'm a nighttime person, and uh, I'm perfectly happy to work late, and I always yeah. consider this to be a massive advantage in negotiation. I'm completely happy to sit here until we find a solution to it. It's yeah. quite hot in here. I don't even want to sit here until <laughs> no, until right, no, no, God, no, not right here. until the night time. But I always find that was a that was a, that was an advantage. How you learn it's really interesting. The first thing you do is you do the civil service uh, EU introduction to the European Union course, which right. when I did it was absolutely fantastic with role playing um, and uh, guests, and it was absolute was just absolutely superb because the it's none of it's none of it's rocket science. It's actually about it's actually largely about human human inter, human interaction sure. okay. um, and. Uh, and you, people actually probably know all of it. Unfortunately, we have this kind of—I think we have this this uh, uh, popular view of it as being like the like The Apprentice and like uh, reality TV shows like this, where yeah. where it, where where it's shouting and, and and saying absolutely not and yeah. okay. some and something tables and so on. And and actually, it's 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 sort of <laughs> largely boring and You're right. boring. It's, and, like it's largely boring anything. and technical. You know, if you're chairing a three-hour meeting. The best way to get through it and to achieve all your objectives is just to grit your teeth and uh, keep keep to the time, keep to the detail. A lot of it, in my view, um, yeah, <laughs> I haven't done I it have, at your level, is, is pretty uh, mundane and, um, yeah, you know, it, it's, but what you, those are skills. It's the opposite of this podcast, strategy. boring and technical. That is exactly the <laughs> exactly. opposite of this podcast, right? It's an edit, someone said something boring or illegal, maybe told some slanderous story about Boris Johnson. You'll never know. You are not a fan of Brexit, it's fair to say. No, I'm not a fan of um, it. Your blog is called The Great British. Now, is it The Great British Moronathon or The Great British Moronathon? Uh, oh, in my, I don't say it out loud very often, but in my head it's Moronathon. Okay. Uh, 
you, you know, obviously you've got the experience there, you've done the negotiating, you're not impressed by what's going on now, it's fair to say. Why? What are they doing wrong? What are the, the big, obvious things that they're doing wrong? Well, I think firstly I should say that um, I think it's a bad thing done badly. So, but I don't want to talk about it being a, I don't necessarily want to talk about it being a, being a, a being a bad thing. I think, sure. it's, I think it's an absolutely stupid, catastrophic decision that was made. Um, and... I don't think I think trying to capture democracy on a single day and then be stuck with it for the rest of eternity sure. is also a really weird sort of Russo Russo esque totalitarian <laughs> view of view of democracy, which I don't subscribe to. But but it's made, so we're now negotiating. But well, if I'm absolutely honest, if 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 if, if right at the beginning that uh, say Cameron hadn't resigned or a new government had come in in, in September, I said, okay, this was a referendum result. Uh, we're gonna ha- we're gonna have to abide by this, whatever happens. Um, it's obvious that the least damaging way to do this is to apply to join after a customs union. That won't satisfy some people, but it won't, but it will. But it, that's the least damaging way to do this. I think people like me would have said, "Well, that's a real shame because I believe in the, the the European project and solidarity and so on." But that's a reasonable. But that's an entirely reasonable way to proceed. And what we, we what we've seen instead is every every single possible decision along the way uh, being being made in a se- ultimately self-defeating way. I mean, no, it, do- I mean, it doesn't, they, it doesn't they... even meet the object. It doesn't have internal logic. The internal objectives can't be met by this. So what are they doing wrong in terms of, uh, you know, uh, you know, concrete, practical things, if you like? Oh, well, the first thing is spending a year insulting and insulting the intelligence of your opposite numbers. Um, by, saying okay. things that hmm. were, by saying things that were, were, were palpably untrue. It's very difficult for the... It's very difficult for I'm not I don't want to defend the commission or defend the U27 here, but it's very difficult for the commission to say things that are palpably untrue, because the things that they're saying have been checked by the commission legal service and um, and they can end up they they can they can end up in serious trouble if they turn out to be untrue. Mm-hmm. Now yes, some of them might be positions which are which are open to to move later, but then but they're not untrue, and I think what what we've really seen is and it, it looks like there's an inability of ministers to to believe. To believe these foreigners when they when they say things which are which are which are absolutely true and easily so cross referenceable against the tre- against the treaties, um, so we've got this kind of cakeist thing. Cakeist thing. Of, of, oh, of, I don't of start telling... the cake. There might be a cake bell as well. I no, but like I want to get this thing. word. I want to get this word cakeist. Somebody used the word okay. cakeist on Twitter the other day, and I want to I want to push this. I, I quite think like it's a really good cakeism, but it's cakeism clearly, and cakeist. It's, you know, there's a reason why there's a phrase you can't have your cake and eat it because it's true Cause it's been around for like yeah, hundreds of years and there's a reason for that and I, it's like what well, they kind of start arguing the next you know a bird in the tree is actually worth better than one in your hand or whatever it is and ever, I mean it's, it's built into the we're talking about systems and, and values and emotions that are building the system it's built into the system that that uh, in, in the EU people go back to capitals and claim credit for the good things and blame yeah. uh, blame Brussels for the bad things that's normal but that's accepted as well I mean the commission expects that they don't get upset by that they say oh yeah that's the cost of union yeah, yeah. you know that that happens that's okay but what what I think has really really upset and irritated uh, Brussels, and also showed the UK to not look serious, which is the worst of all possible, not look like they're seriously looking for a deal, is the the un- total unwillingness to manage expectations reasonably at home. I mean, the people have been told that they're going to get things which are mutually incommensurable, which can't be got at like the what? same time. Uh, well, you can't have uh, frictionless, frictionless, uh, tr- frictionless trade 
yeah. um, outside of uh, customs. And customs union means frictionless trade. Okay. And you can't actually you can't have less frictionless trade. You can have trade with less friction, but they keep using these t- awful terms of well, less frictionless. frictionless yeah, that's it's, it's frictionless. It's, it's, it's not. It's a zero. Yeah. You can't. You can't have, um, what's negative? You can't friction? have you can't have all the benefits of the single market without being a member of it. You simply can't do that. And uh, the E twenty E twenty seven and and others have said this repeatedly, and it's and it's. Uh, it's still treated as if it's kind of a, a different phase two of Project Fear. It's not phase two of Project Fear. It's a it's it's a it's a fact, and there, there's an inability to face facts. And it's it's all been the UK strategy seems to have been directed at the UK. Yeah. At, at the press in the UK and at certain sections of the voting public and at uh, certain sections of the Conservative Party and and, okay. and, and Parliament and actually and uh, even at different parts of Cabinet. And actually, what they needed was a strategy directed at the at, at the the commission, the parliament, the parliament. We haven't mentioned the parliament's much more important than people think in this process. Mm. Um, and the and the U twenty seven, the strategy really just hasn't been directed at, at them at all. Well, they should probably all uh, not go to toilet before they go into the room. That sounds like where they're going wrong. That'll um, that'll do it. <laughs> Worked really well for David Cameron, <laughs> didn't it? Um, is your project, Helen? Uh, are you make, taking a sort of qualitative approach in the sense that you're saying? This negotiation is going well. This is a good negotiation, or not? Is it not? As, I'm I mean, trying to make it really simple, but I mean, is it that simple? Ultimately, um, I suppose yeah, we will evaluate. Um, yeah. But but on the you know using the tried and tested sort of academic methods, as in counting stuff, uh, triangulating stuff, cross referencing. So yeah, it's an academic project, but that doesn't stop us from coming up with um, a reasoned and internally logical conclusion but there's so much more I'd like to say <laughs> yeah but I keep on well so as an expert is this from your point of view don't insult me oh god James. yeah of course oh, yeah. expert bell we'll have to have one of them as well yeah um, I'm proud wearing a badge of honour I, bought, I, I made myself a badge at the beginning of my teaching last semester um, I made my sorry I, I, yeah, yeah. I, ma- I made myself a big round badge and, it, and I, I wrote on it, um, well, I wrote on it, don't trust me, I'm an expert. But I wrote, don't slash trust me, I'm an ah, expert. Okay. Um, and I walked around my class of final year undergraduates with it on. And I think, uh, yeah, so they were initially uncomfortable, but that got us into talking about the nature of knowledge, the nature of my authority or my non-authority to, to do this. And I uh, obviously one of, you know, one of the aspects of Brexit has been this kind of denigration of, of expertise and experts and so that's yeah the fact that i worked for the uk negotiating with the eu <laughs> is a source of suspicion for for for, for a huge number of numbers of people which is ironic and it and because it's i was saying it precisely yeah. what i was told to say yeah. by, by by london just around the corner here so mm-hmm. um this is viewed as absolute suspicion and I, as an aside i think i mean i think politicians have kind of encouraged not just Gove. I think this politicians have encouraged this, yeah, and absolutely. I think recruitment for D. What I I've heard the recruitment for internal recruitment for D. D. X. E. U. Uh, deliberately tried to avoid experienced European operators because they were seen as having gone native. They were seen as yeah. having a stake in it. And that is one thing. And that's I'd... the real opposite of what it should yeah. have been done. And that is one thing I wanted to say. Oh, sorry, that brings me on to something I wanted to say. It's sort of, it is relevant, which sure. is that um, what's one of the things that we shouldn't overlook is that the UK has done really well in, in the EU. And the UK is renowned, correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, for, for being really, um, you know, high, for bringing highly educated negotiators to the table. You mentioned the EU course that you've been on and, uh, when you were training. Not and me, these, of course, but my colleagues, yes. Right, these, so, right <laughs> so these were high, these are high quality. So the UK, as far as I understand it, has 40 plus years worth of, 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 of being a respected negotiating party 
at the EU table. And what's what's so hard, or what you know, what is challenging now is that the EU as a sorry, the UK as a negotiating party, to use that language, mm. is both unstructured. Right, it's not yep. properly okay. constituted to use language yeah. from business negotiations, and it's not properly functional. Um, it doesn't. It hasn't been able to own the problem. It hasn't been able to identify it as a proper opportunity or as a threat or so on. And on those two grounds, it, it, it it's it's not. We're not really making use of all the expertise that you've just mentioned. And just say that from. Um, I mean, friends of mine from the the institutions and and from other member states say exactly the same thing. They say mm-hmm. they just really can't believe how in a year. The UK has gone from punching way above its weight, almost never. Lo- I mean, I, I think almost the, never losing. It, I think yes. the, the UK, when a minister or a prime minister really, really, really cared about something and was willing, and was willing to come and do the 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 high level political work themsel- mm-hmm. themselves for that, the UK virtually never lost. And I mean, we saw this. We mentioned Cameron's negotiating strategy. We saw yeah. this with the budget. I was I was still not correct when uh, when the, this MFF. The budget for 2014 to, 20, to 2020 was was agreed. Oh yeah. Um, and the UK had had uh, was was driving that it shouldn't increase. It should actually be a real real terms decrease, mm. and that it should, it should remain under a thousand billion for the for the for the period. Nobody thought the UK would get this, and really Cameron Cameron uh, number ten uh, and uh, uh, the cabinet office and UKRAP really really drove this, and they 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 did absolutely, and they got it. And this was a huge victory. And now you hear, for example, the FT reported the other day that uh, the MFF was, uh, they called the MFF. The MFF? The MFF agreement is the, the seven-year financial planning uh, agreement. Right. Which that, sets ceilings. And that's for, related to the so-called exit Which is related, related to the exit mm. which I, I talk at great length about if you want to, because that's an area, uh, area I worked on a lot. But um, they're now talking about the MFF, which, which was an agreement between... 28 heads of government that took 22 hours, of, 29 hours of negotiation, I think, and was hailed as, I think David Cameron called it something the British people could be proud of. It was mm. so important. And and now you have DXU, uh, well, I assume the DXU government officials saying that it was, it's, it's a non-binding indicative planning tool. Oh, yeah. You know, okay. I mean, now when... You can say there, there, there are some reasons that the MFF is di- the different sets of commitments the UK might have made uh, have dif- have different statuses, and you, you can actually uh, there's a, there's a good argument that the MF that the, the MFF doesn't form the basis that the Commission thinks it does in certain ways. Um, however, uh, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of EU law, and it's a bit of EU law that has its own article in the treaty. So to you know to go around saying things like that that are palpably ridiculous. And but also to be, but also to be in a position to be in a position where officials or uh, to be in a position where officials or ministers might think that that's true is an appalling position to be in. Right. Stop being mean about the Dexia and all the rest of it. Oh, well, I'm not being mean no, about officials right. yet. I don't want to be mean about no, officials. Right. This is minister. Oh, all right, about the British government. Be clear about because that. okay, the answer I'm getting from both of you to is this is a good negotiation is no. Um, what are they doing right? <laughs> Oh, come on, they must be doing something, right? Persistence. Um, persistence, actually, no. What about no, no. Persistence, no, 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 persi- no persistence yeah. is, a good, is, is, a, uh, is a good thing. Um, what about they don't really want a deal, they want no deal, and it's all a cunning strategy? Well, some people in, some people in Brussels who the UK are relying on to agree to a deal are now thinking that the UK doesn't want a deal. That's yeah. what... Well, that's um, really, really good at it, then, aren't they? That's a really good negotiation if they don't want a deal. Um, ah, they've tricked you. 
Have well, you no, bluffed you? I, well, no, I've said for, I've, I've said for quite long, from, for, since about February, I've, I've said that I think there's a quite a good chance of a less percent, but a, a, a genuine chance of, of walking out of negotiations. And if you were going to walk out of negotiations, this is the strategy you would have used. Yeah. Because you make sure that all blame is placed on on uh, on uh, uh, Johnny Foreigner yeah. uh, ac- across the across the channel. Uh, being intractable and inflexible, um, and you were, you know, you were put in a position where the only thing we could do for the for the for the good of Britain was to was to was to say was to call a halt to this nonsense. Yeah, and I mean, I think sort of a, a variant on that, an interesting you know, discussion I've just had sort of recently with colleagues is, yeah, that, that, and the only you know one one possible scenario is that David Davis. Sort of, um, it comes back to to London to the UK and 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 says that he needs to re, re recalibrate the strategy or reframe the strategy. In other words, if anything is going to change substantially, it's going to have to be couched in those terms. Yeah, we couldn't do it with them like this. Oh, we're going to have to do it like that. And so you know, help me, help me. But it's it will still be bad faith, really. Um, yeah. Um, in my, you know, on the face of it. So, uh, maybe it's all very clever then, they're going for no deal. I mean, you know, yeah, whether so you believe people, no deal is a good idea or not. When my friends and family say that to me, you know, they say, yeah, this is all a big deal. And I think, but I'm a, I am know people who know people who, you know, I, the evidence would suggest that it's not that orchestrated. <laughs> I, no, 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 I think there might be, I, I admit the possibility that there might be element, elements, elements within cabinet. Yes. That would want that would want yeah. that to happen and would encourage it when it was to, right. if, if if it was discussed. I don't think there's I don't think there's a I don't think there's necessary an absolute plan to to do that. So no deal does no deal equal a failure. Uh, it equals a failure of negotiation. Yeah. there's no deal. Yeah, it, by uh, definition, yeah, that's by the definition, definition okay. of a failed negotiation. Um, it, I mean, again, it would explain why no deal is better than a bad deal was said so early on. I don't really understand no deal is better than a bad deal because no, it's not true. That's it doesn't why. make any <laughs> doesn't make any sense. It's does just it? not I mean, true in any sense. What it means is, measure, so. if there's no deal, I mean that is a deal of sorts. So something that is better than something worse is better than something worse, is essentially all that means, right? It's completely vacuous. Yeah, it's right? completely circular logic, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I possibly comment. Okay. Uh, uh, just on, sorry, on the note, the note, I mean, this, uh, there, there's, there's a lot of thought, a, lot, a lot of people talked about the, the negotiation, the, the only negotiation that, that the Prime Minister has been involved in before, which was negotiation on JJ opt-outs. Yes. Um, where she basically got everything that she wanted. Yeah. And, um, there's a view that she got, you know, she got everything she wanted by being utterly, you know, by being utterly stubborn about it and admitting to nothing. Uh, what what isn't realised about that is that it was sort of a cost-free thing to give the UK these JHA opt-outs. So, um, so actually she had it. Actually, she had a rather easy win. And there's an there's an argument that the, the same tactics are being applied to this. That they think that there'll be lots and lots of bluster from uh, from the, these funny chaps from other countries, and in the end they'll all give they'll all give in. It'll all come together. At the well, end. they will because they want to sell their BMWs. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Except BMW says the single market's more important. Okay, they well, well, well we shall more, see. More important than the British market. Um, I have to ask you, uh, who's best at negotiating? Who's the best person or the best country? Is there a country that's particularly good at negotiating? The UK? I'd like. I'd actually like to say in the past, uh, the UK has been very good. France is... France are, France are very good. Uh, well, France, yes, it would be with the old uh, common agricultural policy. They got that, didn't they? That was a good, good bit of negotiating back in the day. Well, what, what, France, what France are really good at is being... I don't want to use modern jar- jargon, but of being... Yeah, don't, of, don't use jargon. 
thought le- <laughs> thought leaders in the you know the the French thought gov- leaders. Well, the yeah. French government has a massive analytic capacity, which uh, well, which, which really lots clever. of smaller smaller countries that the, lots of smaller countries that don't have uh, su- such a big analytic ca- ca- capacity can can follow on the tail of it. And actually, the UK benefited from this as well. The, what you're saying is French people are cleverer than us. No, I'm saying that they put... Which is fine. I'm I'm saying that they do very meticulous analysis of... uh, He's a thought leader. That's just a clever person, right? No, no, it's it's that they, they... Without having to go around saying we want to form an alliance on this, they pull alliances with them. Yeah. But actually, the I think the UK uh, the UK has consistently done this again with the Nordics and with the Netherlands um, as well. I mean, I think the UK the uh, to some extent the measure of negotiators not just not just the outcomes. It's uh, it's it's the the the. No- <laughs> The number of people who disagree with you at the first negotiation session. I mean, by the time of the first negotiation session, ideally, there should be very few people disagreeing with you. I mean, you should have already done the work, already okay. done the work before that. And the UK has always been very, very good at this. It's been very good at deploying its embassies throughout the EU to to work locally with uh, governments. Uh, negotiators in Brussels have have been ac- always been actively encouraged to make personal re- to to build personal relationships and. Uh, and and to work on this own soft soft power soft power base as well, and uh, the French do that as well. The Dutch, I I think the Dutch tend to do very very well as well for a relatively uh, relatively s- small yeah. country. They take the same sort of uh, alliances, not friendships, view okay. as, the, as the UK, and that can be really successful as well. Okay, listen, let's do the features. The features first of all, the best thing and worst thing, which has a jingle that sounds like this. <laughs> Best thing! Oh. Worst thing. Steve, what's going to be the best thing about Brexit? No, you can't say nothing. I obviously want to say nothing. Um, yeah, you're not allowed to. I think maybe, perhaps, in the if you take a, a longer-term view of it, maybe the role in exposing uh, the, the use of analytics and big data for, for manipulation and, and the fact that this is uh, being exposed... Um, and will theref- therefore, uh, uh, okay. therefore, I think I think once it's exposed, it becomes less powerful, and maybe that's maybe that's one small small positive that it could that it could come out of this. There's also uh, I think also a lot of people have uh, there's there's been a lot of people who've connected with other people politically in a way that they they haven't through forty eight percent movements and so on. True, and you know you have that's that's a positive thing, and I've certainly I mean connected. Through social media and so on, with, with Twitter, uh, with you know, lots of experts and academics and so on that I wasn't that, that I that I hadn't. So I mean, there's some benefit in a in a big sense. Yeah, though, there's not it's a nice cuddly thing. Well, people sense. being friends and connecting yeah, is yeah. better than that's the most important. And it transcends parties. I mean, forty yeah. percent movement transcends parties in rather yes. a nice way. Um, and kind of looks da- looks down on petty party party rivalries, and that could be a positive as well. But. Um, in a big sense, nothing at all. Was it? Yeah. All right. Well, go on. Then. The other one, of course, side of it is the worst thing. What's going to be the worst thing? The the worst one thing. thing. Well, you're not allowed to say I'm again. Allowed, you're not allowed to say everything to that one. one. thing. The uh, long-term decline in public standards and uh, in standards in public life. I mean, you have politicians. I, I well, the fact that I can say this, I'm not, and I don't think I would worry about libel laws or anything. Politicians, ministers of state, looking right down cameras, saying things they know to be untrue to the the electorate, contradicting them weeks later. Um, we've got numerous ex- examples of this, and basically getting away with that. I mean, if you if you if you if you look back to uh, even just you know ten years ago, we had there's constitutional conventions of 
collective cabinet responsibility, of individual ministerial responsibility, of ministers said, found to have said something untrue, they would resign out of a sense of, uh, sense of honour. Mm. No chance of that happening now. We don't have any collective cabinet responsibility. Cabinet members are, are, well, are openly... Well, the Dems did that, didn't they? Openly. The Dems brought that when they were in government. Well, yeah, quite possibly. Uh, that, that was in a coalition government. This is not a non-coalition no, government. But um, so I think the, the general decline in standards of public life, decline in the status of, of the status of facts and experts, um, uh, I think will take a long, long time to, uh, to 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 repair. I think. And finally, some recommendations. In the unlikely event this podcast has not enlightened you sufficiently. In the unlikely event that this podcast has not proved sufficiently enlightening, what would you recommend to understand? Brexit and its ramifications and all that sort of stuff. Uh, where should we go? Should we go Helen first? Do recommend I, I suppose I would say that it is important. I'm not going to recommend a book or a film or a whatever, okay. not yet. I mean, I, they will all be made in dramas and so on. Mm. But there there are source of, sources of information, evidence-based information, that are relatively easy to, um, to digest, right? Mm-hmm. And like this? Like this, uh, like the so the UK and changing Europe. I'm not I'm not here to sell it in inverted commas, but it it does have some some explainers and so on and sure. so forth. It's not it's not so. My recommendation is be a little bit bold and look into some of the academic slash expert slash opinion. If it's well written, then it's wor- and it's based on evidence, then it's worth reading. And it doesn't matter if it's a boring old academic. Yeah. Okay, Steve. Inform ourselves. Okay. Steve. Obviously, the people to listen to are UK and a changing Europe and Anna. Oh, come on, you can't all go around. I mean, I agree, clearly, I agree entirely. This what, is a UK and a changing Europe podcast. But than, than that. as well as that, anything, uh, anyone or anything that you think is well, I've, worth. I've, I've massively embraced Twitter since uh, yeah. since the uh, since the referendum, and really, if I can plug a few, yeah, who should follow on Twitter? Great. I mean, I think you should follow uh, everybody. Should follow David Allen Green, who is uh, uh, agnostic towards Europe as a as a as a concept and uh, potentially uh, potentially pre uh, pre ninety two would have been considered himself a. a a lever, but thinks it's basically okay. it's basically stupid and impossible to try and extricate ourselves at this point. Um, I think there are just some marvelous ones. It's K, uh, K Armstrong, some great academics. K Armstrong, Armstrong, Cambridge. Yeah, I think it was absolutely fantastic. Steve, Pe- there's some great legal people. Steve Pierce yeah. um, is outstanding. Uh, there's a, a wonderful threader called. Uh, who's anonymous called Steve Analyst, who uh, yeah. breaks everything down into threads with with very precise evidence to dispel myths. Who's I think is absolutely fantastic. Uh, there's obviously uh, Ian Dunt with his rival podcast. I um, don't know him or his podcast. I don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. That bit's getting cut out. Joe Moore, Mo, uh, Shona Jolly's really amazing on the right. legal, the, the domestic legal. Stuff Just on, on that though, is Twitter the place to really discuss and learn about Brexit? Um, I think it, I think it can point you in the direction so long as you uh it can point you in the right direction it shouldn't be used exclusively but it can really help to point you in the right direction i've certainly been pointed in the right direction uh to legal blogs that i would have, there's no chance as a non-lawyer i would have ever, ever ever come across and so on so i think that's really really useful okay uh there you go you've heard recommendations go on twitter and talk about brexit what could possibly go wrong <laughs> 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 So there you go. My thanks to Steve Bullock and Professor Helen Drake for joining me for that chat. 
Perhaps because there was no politician in the room on this occasion, I found them both very interesting and engaging characters. I uh, really hope that uh, came across. Steve now works as a sound engineer in Brussels, where he has his own studio. Uh, If this podcast gets out of London, and uh, I hope it will in 2018, we've got plans to go all over Cardiff, Birmingham, Edinburgh, Belfast, maybe even Brussels. And if we do get to Brussels, then we may well catch up with Steve again, perhaps. And I do urge you to look at Helen's project at 28plus.eu. That's 28 numbers, plus in letters, .eu. That's the website. They have some uh, very interesting research and some very interesting events that they run. I was meant to go to one in October, but I forgot. Sorry about that, Helen. Um, But it looked really good. It was called Brexit Cafe. I really wish I'd gone, but I didn't remember until, like, a day or two later uh since it's nearly christmas we've got a treat for you another podcast next week you won't have to wait the usual fortnight for your next installment we're putting it out a week early because christmas uh, interferes with the schedule and it may even be a christmas themed sort of episode if it's the episode i think it will be these things are never set in stone because you never know, Theresa May or Donald Tusk might phone up and say that they want to come on, in which case we have to reshuffle the pack. That could happen. Uh, but if it is the one that I think it's going to be, it'll be a bit Christmassy and it will feature celebrities and everything. But that is for the future. For now, please do get in touch to share your thoughts on anything in or about the podcast. Uh, you can email me at UK in a changing Europe podcasts at gmail.com or better and easier just tweet me at political yeti or tweet at uk and eu that's for the uk to changing europe people and their website is uk and eu.ac.uk my website is james-miller.com and it has a list of all the recommendations we've garnered so far including a bonus one from steve burke which he didn't say on air but which is to be honest Perhaps the best of the lot. So very much worth going to james-miller.com to have a look at that. Um, This week's music has been Requiem for a Fish by the Freak Fandango Orchestra to start off with. And uh, again, we've ended up with Favourite Secrets by Waylon Thornton. Um, Both are free to download on the internet. And, uh, well, do you know also on music? I've been listening to the Taylor Swift album this week. That comes up when when I bring up uh, what's his name, Waylon Thornton and such like, the Taylor Swift album pops up in my uh, my music. And um, it's all right, isn't it? It's all right. I wouldn't recommend it for any way for Christmas. I would recommend Anand Menon's book, Brexit and British Politics. There you go. It's better than Taylor Swift's album, if you're looking for, you know, Christmas recommendations. This has been the Brexit Breakdown podcast, produced by the UK Interchanging Europe, supported by King's College London, and funded by the Economic and Social Research Council. Come back in just a week's time for another episode. Thank you and goodbye.